I'm Aria Schwartz, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. Game one of the WNBA Finals is in the books, and I am joined by Windsider staff writer Owen Pence to react and break down. like our show please consider joining our patreon community for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w and don't forget to see the amazing written staff content over at winsider.com and if you subscribe to patreon.com backslash winsider you get a lot a lot of exclusive WNBA content including the wobble weekly by our very own owen pence owen the WNBA finals are nothing but lit the storm take the series 1-0 it was a back and forth, like many storylines throughout this game, but morning after game one, where's your head at? What are you thinking? How you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling good. I mean, that was a fun game, I have to say. Like, you know, I I was almost expecting the Aces to to get blown out after such a ex- exhausting five-game series with Connecticut and just going up against a well-rested, you know, super deep team in the storm. Um, I, I was not expecting Las Vegas to just come out raining threes. I mean, it was like the last thing. It was just a, such a hilarious first quarter. Carolyn Swords wrecking havoc on the offensive glass. Kayla McBride couldn't miss. Angel McCautry couldn't miss from three. Um, but I think the game settled down. Uh, I was glad the Aces kind of brought it back late in the third quarter. Um, but Seattle is just too good. I mean, everyone's talking about Stewie and Sue and rightfully so they set records, but Jewel Lloyd had a, a, a plus minus last night of plus 31 and was just, Jeez. I mean, well, you can take it from there. Like unreal. I mean, yeah. Uh, and that's somebody who I've been talking about a lot. I tweeted out multiple times, not to shamelessly plug my own tweets, but you know, I tweeted out multiple times leading into the series, just from what I've seen late in the season and in, in, in the first round against the Lynx. But then also, I mean, throughout the first half, Lloyd is going to not get the same recognition that Stewie gets. And honestly, if Stewie has, you know, two more uh, wins that are, you know, half as good as this, I assume she will likely get the the MVP nod for the finals. Whether it's fully deserving or not is a question that I think we're going to have to get into on a different podcast, but I completely agree with you. What Jewel Lloyd has been able to do, I mean, Stewie kind of went off at at two individual parts of this game, but Lloyd was the person who, when the Aces were rolling, when the Aces were making big shots and getting putbacks and second chance opportunities, she was the one who was responding and making big defensive plays, and a lot of these things aren't things that are going to go into the stat sheet. You don't get two extra points because it was like a three ball that was a response to another three ball. Like those things don't go into the, the, the box scores, but Jewel Lloyd has been doing it like crazy throughout this whole playoffs. Let's kind of run back and run through this game uh, while I got you here. Like you were saying the first half back and forth. And for me, the reason the aces were able to stay around and make this a game throughout the first quarter was not only their three-point shooting, which is going to get a lot of attention, but the offensive rebounds. But as Ben Dole pointed out, as I pointed out in the Winsider Report live stream that we do 
every halftime during the playoffs and every post game during the playoffs. The pluses and minuses of this, and, and we'll dive into this for a brief moment. I know we were talking about it before we got on the pod, but when when you have Carolyn Swords crashing the boards, standing there and getting those second chance opportunities, there's the pluses and minuses of it. There's the plus of that if she gets the rebound, you're getting some easy points, and it really helped them because as it's been noted throughout all of the talking heads, all of the articles that have come out, the Aces weren't hitting shots that they normally hit. I mean, the Aces are not a team that shoots sub 30% from the from the field. Like, that's just not Las Vegas Aces basketball. They take high percentage shots and they make a high percentage of them, which just combines to make a great team, which is what they are. But when you're doing that, you can't expect Carolyn Swords to beat anybody on the roster. I mean, Crystal Lang- Langhorn is probably the only person who Carolyn Swords could keep up with in a race, in a foot race down the court. And it's just not going to happen. And it got the storm in a chance where they were able uh, to get out in transition to attack the paint and to hit the shots that they do. And uneven basketball is kind of the bread and butter of the Seattle Storm team who knows each other so well. Going into the half, there's a 17-point lead. And the Seattle Storm looked fully in control. Where was your head at that point? Oh, man. I mean, my head, I was, I was, I was wowed. Like 50, 57 points in the first half was super impressive. Um, it, it's so fun watching the storm when they're firing on all cylinders like this. Uh, I do think, you know, to touch on Carolyn's swords here for a minute, I have been calling for this kind of all playoffs. I think a lot of people have. Um, it just seems like Bill Lambeer has to go small at some point and play uh, McCautry and Wilson at the four and the five, if they have any shot in this series, because, and, and Carolyn Swords, you know, played incredibly in game five against Connecticut. What she's doing is, is remarkable. Um, but as you kind of mentioned, it's just really tough to have her on the floor considering who Seattle puts out there. I think it kind of comes down to two areas and you already started to see this kind of once Seattle peeled off that huge run in the second quarter, and you saw it a lot at the start of the fourth quarter when they kind of separated again. Um, I, th- I think it comes down to two areas. One is transition, as we've talked about. Uh, Dierica Hamby is is like, you know, I think she's just underrated in general, but, but her abilities in transition to just zoom down the floor, whether it's, you know, going into offense and kind of just straight rim running and, and, and cutting to the hoop and receiving a pass, or whether it's getting back on defense, She's just exceptional in transition, whereas Swords is crashing the offensive glass and and basically allowing Seattle to leak out for these really easy looks. So I think that's that's one area where where she just really gets exposed. And then the other area, and you really saw this at the start of the fourth quarter, not to jump ahead here, but the switching is just impossible uh, when the Aces are on defense and Swords is on the floor. And we saw multiple times in the first, you know, two or three minutes of that fourth quarter, Swords guarding Brianna Stewart. And I mean, it, that's just, that's just a loss. Like you're just, you're going to get cooked. And so, uh, you know, she brings some stuff to the table, but ultimately I think that's kind of where when she's playing 28 minutes and, and, and contributing, you know, two points of offense, uh, the floor is just too clogged and it, and it's just, you know, they're just getting killed in the pick and roll, you know, with high ball screens there's really nothing you can do. And I think that was kind of the, the the main difference to me. And I think an interesting aspect of this is 
when we recap this game, a lot of people looking back on it are going to talk about the final score lead, the 18 to 0 run uh, in the second quarter that really blew this game open and changed a large aspect of it. But we can't forget what happened in the third quarter. At one point, it was a 19 point lead. Las Vegas Aces stormed back into this one. And with, I believe it was 26, 27 seconds left in the third quarter, they tie the game up. Yes. I believe it was Jewel Lloyd had a response, which gives the, the Storm the two-point lead going into the fourth quarter. But at that point, you got to be thinking to yourself, okay, they struggled mightily in this quarter. Are we going to have a flashback of what we saw? They scored just 12 points in the third quarter. Are we going to have a flashback to Connecticut, who scored just 19 points in the second half of game five? Obviously, that didn't happen. They went off for uh, 24 points in the fourth quarter, which honestly, it felt like they scored a lot more. But I'm curious for you, what was it that the Aces were doing that allowed them to get back into this one? Now, I don't know if you listened, but in the Windsider Daily pod with Ben Dole, when he had Nikki Collin on, she was talking about Angel McCautry and basically said, Angel lives for these playoff moments, but even more so, Angel's going to come out firing at the first and the third, and you need to be prepared for her to do that. And you can't let her get too much into a rhythm because if she does, then she can do that in other areas also. But know that there's going to be a storm of Angel McCautry at the beginning of the third and the beginning of the first. What did you see from this this third quarter that allowed Asia Wilson to finally get some points, that allowed Angel McCautry to continue to cook? I mean, how was this Aces team able to bring it back to a tie game with 26 seconds left in the third? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a couple factors. And I, I, I like that point about Angel quite a bit because it really is so fun. I, I think it was the third quarter of game five against the Sun when she just was, you know, super electric. Oh, super uh, sane. Yeah, yeah, so that was really fun. I, I think it was a couple things. I mean, it happened in a blink of an eye and it was a little bit like, oh, whoa, like, how is this a two-point game, you know, is tied for a second. Uh, so it, it was a little difficult to digest because it happened so quickly. But I think there were a couple of factors. One, I think, you know, I touched on Jewel Lloyd's plus minus briefly. And I think we have to to go back to that and look at who Seattle had on the floor uh, late in that third quarter when, when Vegas really got hot. Jewel Lloyd was resting for a good portion of that time. And I really just cannot state enough, cannot overstate uh, how how vital she is on both ends. I mean, her perimeter defense really does not get talked about a lot. I think maybe because of her size, people might not think that she's just like locked down on, on defense. Um, but her ability to kind of track these shooters and go over ball screens and is really, really impressive. And then obviously, I, I don't need to tell you you know, what she brings and just the kind of reliable nature of her offensive game. So I think that was that was one part of it. But in terms of what maybe the aces did, I, I think that it was the defense that that turned things around. Like, the sh- you know, some shots started falling. They got good looks. D-Rob had that and one. Um, but I really think it, it was them kind of competing harder on defense. There was there were so many perplexing elements to that defensive game plan, in my opinion, last night that I was like, man, yes, Seattle is tough. You know, everyone's saying Stewie's unguardable, Stewie's a cheat code. I don't disagree, but there are things you can do to slow Brianna Stewart down that the Aces just didn't do. And I think the third quarter, you know, that maybe eight minute stretch from from eight minutes to the end of the quarter was where they really locked in defensively 
and they, and they were fighting over ball screens and they were doing the things that for the rest of the game, they just weren't doing, you know, they come out then in the fourth quarter and you're kind of expecting the intensity to, to carry over. And they just, they got absolutely shredded. You know, there was, there was one point where I think uh, Sue Bird and, and Brianna Stewart ran a, a pick and roll and they just trapped Sue Bird and left Brianna Stewart wide open on the roll. I mean, no one was even guarding her. No one came over to help. If that's your game plan, you're not going to win the game. So I, th- I think I think they deserve a ton of credit for making it interesting. I think they played really hard and really well there for a while out of the break. But ultimately, if you're not going to sustain it, and, and then that combined with the fact that that Asia Wilson just kind of had an off night shooting, you know, didn't hit some of the looks that she normally is going to hit, um, that you're not you're not going to be able to to pull it out. And to talk about that quarter, I mean, the Aces go 9 of 14. So not a bad showing shooting-wise. On the flip side, the Seattle Storm hit just four shots. By the way, the Aces hit two nice threes and then two two deep twos, basically, that were like right on the line, right around that area. Yep. So, I mean, this I, I kind of looked at the third quarter, and yes, this is a simplistic plebeian perspective on this, <laughs> but I looked at it as just like kind of, okay, the storm came back to reality and I don't want to, I don't even you know what, no scratch that. I don't like saying that with the storm because the storm are a great shooting team. Let's be realistic. Alicia Clark's shooting percentage of this game is not typical. Yeah. Sue Bird's shooting percentage in this game, not typical. Like people aren't talking about the fact Sue Bird had two points in this game. Yeah. She was, you know, assisting out the wazoo, but she, the shots weren't dropping for them. And, and in the third quarter, I mean, you look at this, they hit four shots. They miss three, four, six, three pointers that half or that quarter, two deep twos, like four gimmies in the paint and one outside the paint. So like they were just not Seattle couldn't buy a shot and the aces were actually making shots. And, and yes, like you were talking about, it had to do with defense and things like that. But I think it was also a matter of aces kind of got some confidence after they were able to hit some shots and then were able to carry it over onto the defensive end. Um, you know, the old saying defense makes offense, offense makes defense, whatever, but yeah, go. Well, I mean, I, I think you hit it, you hit the nail on the head and to, to bring another kind of corny cliche into the mix, but it is a make or miss league. And like, sometimes, like you said, luck is just a factor. We, We always are looking for the reasoning cause and effect as to why a team, you know, peeled off a big run. And of course there is a lot of strategy involved. Um, but at the same time, it is just luck. And it's funny, you mentioned the Alicia Clark shooting percentage. I'm looking at my game notes from last night right now. And uh, it says 225 third quarter, luckiest aces defensive possession in history. That is that is what I wrote down last night when Alicia Clark missed a wide open three, no one in the area. And then uh, the Storm got the offensive rebound. And Alicia Clark got a kick out and got another really good look and missed that one too. And I'm like, that never happens. I mean, I At was so all. sure the second one was going to fall. And sometimes you just need a little luck, you know? That's how it goes. Look, Alicia Clark was not going to go 0 for 5 from 3 in another game. I'm sorry. That's just not going to happen with four <laughs> fouls. She, honestly, I mean, like, she was a negative 14 on the plus minus, the only starter. Uh, on the team who wasn't a plus minus also uh, Jordan Canada was a negative 18 so not good on that aspect but something I was thinking about while we were talking about this was kind of 
we'll get into this. I'll, I'll save it, but I'll tease it for later in the episode is just kind of looking at the storm. They're not unbeatable looking at the storm. You know, you gotta, I, I just want to compare this in the same lens as the storm link series and what that meant in game one, that the links weren't able to pull off a victory because yes, the storm won by 13, but this game was a lot more winnable than that final score shows. And I almost want to say that for the Aces to have a chance to win this finals, they needed to steal this game because of what we just talked about. With Sue Bird going 1 for 5 and 0 for 3 from 3. With Alicia Clark going 2 for 13 and 0 for 5 from 3. Having that happen isn't good. Like, that's not going to continue throughout this series. And it was just a horrible luck of the draw, horrible dice roll, whatever you want to call it, that the Aces team was not able to do what they do so historically in this season. And and they were able to hit 10 three-pointers, which has to be a season record for them. I'm not even looking up the stat. It has to be a season record for them. 10 of 21. Heck, they, sh- they made more three-pointers this game than the Storm did. And when you look at that and you think to yourself, okay, we had the same amount of turnovers under 10. Excuse me. They, oh, eight turnovers. Thought for some reason I thought it was nine and nine, but we had more rebounds than them. You know, we got the same amount of turnovers, but there's some other aspects that were really uh, disheartening if you're an Aces fan. But as we talk about the third quarter, the fourth quarter was, you know, the third quarter. I, I think you could sum it up in a sentence of like, oh shit, we got a game. Fourth quarter, not so much. Stewie just took over at one point, scored eleven points before the Aces even scored a point in the fourth quarter. Uh, obviously she had a historic game scoring the second most points ever in a WNBA playoff game. And as we talked about, Jewel Lloyd just completely went off. I mean, the aces scored just four baskets in the whole fourth quarter, losing the quarter 24 to 13, just a crazy turn of events. I mean, it was pretty early on that this game got blown out at one point. I thought maybe the aces had another run left in them, uh, but it came pretty obvious early on any final thoughts on the fourth quarter before we look forward to game two and the rest of the series yeah you just gotta you just gotta kind of tip your cap I think is is the ultimate takeaway from the fourth quarter it was like the aces ran out of gas and 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 I I must say too like this is a a factor and I think it's easy to you know point to this and 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 use it as an excuse and and I don't think it should be but we just have to keep in mind the load that Asia Wilson has been carrying throughout these playoffs, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I, I totally hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, Seattle's probably not going to have another game where Alicia Clark shoots two for 13. They're probably not going to have another game where Stuber goes over three from three, but at the same time, Asia Wilson's probably not going to go six for 20 again. And I think, you know, you have to look, at the Connecticut series where she was playing 40 minutes a game, you know, the final two and doing everything for the team on both ends. Uh, it's just been a really long grueling road and like considering their depth versus considering, uh, you know, Seattle's depth where as Magmagor, who I love, you know, I'm so high on her potential. She played three minutes, like Jordan Canada played 11 minutes. Um, and and did some fine things, but didn't really you know play a major role. She was someone that people were talking about a ton coming into this season. So I think that just the the depth of this Seattle team was kind of evident in the fourth quarter, where it's like, yeah, they're going back to their stars. But you know, Jewel Lloyd only played 31 minutes. Sue Bird played 31 minutes. Clark played 32. Um, yes, Stewie played 37. But it's like 
Asia has had a lot of miles on her over the course of these playoffs. And I think Seattle just kind of looked fresher. It was like Vegas used up everything they had in that third quarter. And I, and I almost expected it to carry over and uh, they just hit a wall. And so I and I might take away. Well, and I'll add to that. The interesting aspect is that with the, the way that the semifinals happened, with the Lynx Storm game one being postponed and then being played on what would have been game two. So basically they were a game behind. If you're the Aces, you're just praying during that series that the Lynx can pull off one victory yeah, because then they get that extra rest. But also, heck, even like the Aces were kind of screwed in that regard because you kind of it, it's a double edged sword where you want the links to win so that it will push longer in the current state of appeals. But if in a normal situation, you know, they go to game five, the uh, the the links storm get, series ends after three. So there's probably like a week off or close to a week off or half a week that the storm take off, yeah. which, as we saw in that game one between the Lynx and the Storm, not to give it so much credit, but there is some rust that you have to shake off after a week. We saw them, the Aces, in game one. You know, so for me, it's kind of like, if you're the Aces, you got some stuff to complain about. Obviously, you're not going to hang your hat on that and give an excuse or anything like that. But realistically, like, yeah, there was some some things that you guys got screwed by. Let's talk about game two. But before we do, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Winsider Daily on your favorite podcast app and also Winsider Network, a collection of WNBA podcasts. And don't forget to see all of our written content over at Winsider.com. That's Winsider.com. Game two. Let's talk about from the Storm perspective first, and we'll get to the Aces perspective. How do the Storm win game two? To me, it's about continuing playing their ball, push the ball in transition and hit shots and just like... For me, it's a pretty simple formula. This team likes to run the ball. They know each other so well. It never, like, it never seems like what I, I touched on it earlier in this episode that this team really thrives in uneven ball. And what I mean by that is when you have a four on one, a three on two, whatever it is, this storm team knows each other so well. They're able to not even see where the player is and feed the other player as opposed to, like, honestly, I look back at that uh, Aces Storm, Aces Sun game five where uh, Brianna Jones tried to feed the ball on a breakaway when it was two-on-one to Duana Bonner, and Duana Bonner wasn't where she thought she was, and she just threw the ball out of bounds. That would never happen with this Storm team because they know each other like the back of their hand. They have played together for so long. They have vibed for so well. They have gelled for so well, and like you were talking about, they're just fun to watch. So for me, it's play Storm basketball if they want to win game two in this series. What do you think? My, my So my key to the game for Seattle in, in game two is that they should do exactly what they did in game one and allow Carolyn Swords to get like three or four offensive rebounds in the first quarter. And then Lambeer's just going to play her the rest of the game. And bam, it's a it's another victory 2-0. That, 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 and, and, and I'm joking, but I'm also being serious. You're joking, but you're not. And I completely get it and respect it. Let's talk about the aces. For me, they have to try and find some mismatches. They got to play. I would like to see, look, your season's on the line here. It's game two. No one's come back from down 2-0 uh, to go. And I don't actually know if that's the actual stat. I'm pretty sure it was during the semifinals. So let's pretend it is during these. Um, I want to see them play matter. Angel at the four. I know there's been a lot of talk about that on Twitter sphere. I know there's been a lot of talk about that in the Windsider Slack. But for me, it's what I've seen from this Aces team in the playoffs is 
they either are unable to do what they've done all season long, get those paint buckets, get to the free throw line to a disproportionate amount to their opponent and not worry about the three ball. Okay. But what I've seen during the playoffs is either they're getting, you know, they're getting some good rebounds and they're hitting a ton of threes, but then they're not getting that disproportionate free throw line percentage and they're not hitting their shots where they normally have a high percentage. So for me, it's, Finding that middle ground, because I don't think necessarily going up against the Storm team, I know that the Aces won two of the games in the regular season, they swept the series, but I don't see a way that this Aces team playing patented patented Aces basketball of the 2020 season is going to win the finals. I think Kayla McBride and Angel McCautier need to step up from behind the arc. So far, we've seen that in small sample sizes. They needed to do it while they're still hitting their typical shots. It can't be, you know... We're going to do something we haven't done all season, but not do what we did all season. Or we're going to do what we did all season, but not the one question mark. Like you need to find a way to do both. That's just me. No, I, I completely agree. And, and you know, not to, to sound like a broken record here in terms of the aces going small. But I think a lot of times when we think about a team going small, we kind of think about it within the offensive context of the game where, mm-hmm. you know, the floor is clogged and they need to, 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 to create more space. And, and I think that is one benefit to Las Vegas going small, but ultimately you're still going to be playing some non shooters. So I think the, the key there is just getting the, the body that is Carolyn swords out of the lane, because what we saw, you know, last year with Liz Cambage a little bit and, and what we've seen a lot this year is that when Asia Wilson doesn't have room to operate, when everyone's just collapsing into the lane and, and mucking up the entry pass, uh, the entry passes and 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 mucking up passing lanes, it just becomes nearly impossible for her to get to her spots on the floor without expending so much energy. Then you consider the fact that you know Brianna Stewart's being hid on on Carolyn Swords uh, or Emma Cannon. On the defensive end, whereas Asia Wilson is guarding Brianna Stewart, you know, and and expending the energy there, it's not a recipe for success. But just to to kind of bring this point full circle, uh, I think when we talk about going small with Las Vegas, we have to focus on the defensive end, not the offensive end, because I think the key for them in Game Two, if they want to stay in this series, I'm focusing on Kayla McBride, Jackie Young, and Danielle Robinson, and what they can do on the perimeter to kind of make these looks a little bit tougher and make Seattle work a little bit harder to get the looks that they like to get. Because again, you know, Seattle deserves all the credit for what they did offensively in game one. It was a tremendous performance, but there were a lot of easy looks. uh, And, and some of them didn't even fall as we, as we touched on with Alicia Clark, like that, that game could have been even uglier from a final score standpoint. And so I think that if you're playing Kayla McBride, Jackie Young, and Danielle Robinson at the same time. You need to you need to have all of them, you know, just going as hard as possible on defense. And 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 I don't mean you know dumb gambles, things of that nature. I mean what all of those players are more than capable of doing, which is just really good one on one defense, ball denial, fighting over screens, etc. And and I didn't see enough of that in game one. We saw it in short spurts. But obviously the the small lineup, you know, Bill went to it with maybe seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was too late by that point. He, he rode with it for about two minutes. You got to get more time than that. And you got to make Seattle work when they have the ball. 
And I think that's really what it comes down to for me. No, exactly. When they have the ball, when you make them work, it affects them on the other end of the ball when they're playing defense because I, both sides, like people don't understand that you exhaust them on defense, you exhaust them on offense, you exhaust them on offense, you exhaust them on defense. It's going to be your benefit. Looking forward to the rest of the season. I said this before and I'll say it again. I got the Storm in four. I think we've seen so far in the four games that the Storm have played, they aren't perfect. They can lose. But to beat them, you're going to have to play a near-perfect game, play it start to finish. I don't think the Aces have it to win two games in this series, so I don't think we're going five. I think the Aces have it to win one because contrary to what I said before, and I still believe it, that this might have been the one game that the Aces you know, had the box ticked for them to win. That being said, it wasn't like on on the on the storm side, like certain things weren't happening for the storm that I think could have been beneficial for the aces to get the victory. But the aces weren't getting things done playing their typical ball. What we've also seen is, well, obviously ignoring the aces storm series, what the Lynx were able to do, because I kind of look more so like the playoffs are different than the regular season. So I look at what the Lynx had success against the storm in their series, and see how the Aces can do that. And I think the three ball is a big key of it. It's going to open up the lane. It's going to cause them to be a little bit more true on the perimeter, which in a perfect world would allow you a little bit more space and to get to the free throw line and cutting to the basket with players like D-Rob, Allen, and a variety of others, even K-Mac. But yeah, I mean, I just I think Aces win one, but I I can't see them winning much more than that because I I like the way that the Storm recalibrate and, and readjust to what they need to do. Give me your thoughts on the final and the rest of the series. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think if Dierica Hamby is playing, I, I have aces in five because she completely changed the complexion of the series. We saw what happened in the regular season and granted, I could not agree more. Uh, you know, playoff basketball is so drastically different. And I think especially from a coaching standpoint, a game planning standpoint, um, you know, there are just certain things that that become highlighted and magnified in the playoffs uh, that you can't really ignore. Um, but I I think without Dierica Hamby, it's it's like it's it's what I just it's what I just talked about. Brianna Stewart, when Carolyn Swords is on the floor, can kind of chill, and 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 she not only can she chill, she can rack up four blocks by kind of roaming around and not having to be worried that she's going to get burnt by Carolyn Swords, uh, you know, scoring a bucket as, as she helps elsewhere on the floor. And the Aces obviously can't do that because Asia Wilson is keeping everything together on both ends. And I think when Dierica Hamby plays, it, it's a completely different ballgame because she is one of the very few people in this league who is extremely capable guarding Brianna Stewart. And I'm not saying that she can like lock her down necessarily, but like at times she can sort of do what Nafisa Collier did in game one against Seattle in the semifinals. And, and that's so huge. And and then it frees up Asia on the other end um, to just completely go off and, and, and start attacking every time down the floor. You just can't do that when you're tracking Brianna Stewart on the other end. She's too good uh, and she's too capable in the post, obviously knocking down threes as a screener in the pick and roll, pick and pop. Um, so there's just too much for them to defend and, and too many defenders for them to get by on the other end, I think, without someone like Dierica Hamby, who I believe to be one of the 10 to 15 best players in this league. Um, and so I, I agree, Storm and four, 
I wouldn't be shocked if it's a sweep at this point. I think we have to like sometimes zoom out and be like, you know what? No one expected the Aces to be here. We all expected Seattle to win the title this year. Some people. Okay, okay. I I I, re- I say this with all respect because I love I love everything you're saying, but I am so over this narrative of nobody picked the Aces to do. Yeah, I know. Even on the Windsider predictions, we didn't predict them to go far. But I will stand by this, and maybe this is just me, you know, praising myself, giving myself a pat on the back. Going into the season, I said, okay, if there's four teams to win a championship this year, I think the Storm were in their own category where it's like they are the title favorites. Behind them, I had LA, LV, Aces, and the Sky as team. And I didn't even have the Sky necessarily in that same tier once I learned about Diamond not being healthy, as we knew throughout the whole season. But for me, it was just like, if there was a team that was going to make it to the, like somebody else had to make it to the finals. And it was either LA, which there was a lot of question marks, or it was going to be the Aces. So like, I don't, I don't buy into it. And you can, I'm not saying like you're crazy or you're stupid or anything. I'm just saying, I don't buy into this mindset, this discussion of, oh, nobody saw them here. We knew they were good. Like if you know WNBA, you know that the Aces losing Asia, or, uh, Liz Cambage is not going to knock them out of title contention. They Kel, like, and we've talked about this in in Slack and in a variety of other ways. But like Kelsey Plum, in my opinion, was a bigger blow to this team's championship aspirations with the growth that we've seen from her over the years and really fitting into Bill Ambier's style of play. I think that's a bigger blow to this team's championship aspirations than losing Liz and. I'm sorry, I don't think Liz Cambage listens to this podcast, but I'm sorry if she does that. That's not a knock against her. That's just a knock of like, I'm not in, I do not believe this mindset that you just add all the biggest superstars and all the biggest names and you're going to win a championship magically. I am very much a believer. And that's part of why I think Simone Augustus is the greatest player of all time. Goat. Because for me, it's a, it takes a player who can, do whatever the team needs to get a championship, to get a victory, whether that means scoring, whether that means rebounds, defense, whatever it is, it's you need to be able to adapt and not just be, oh, we have this compilation of, you know, 50 or 12 superstars, so we're going to win, or like six people off the bench that used to be superstars, so we're going to win. Like, Sorry, that's just my rant. I'm much more of like a system guy. We Obviously, you need talent in a superstar, but like a system is more important than having 12 superstars. No, just I, sorry. I, I basically agree with everything you just said. And it's a, it is a really interesting conversation. I do think the thing I was looking at going into the season was simply depth. Like, I think everyone was talking about this. And that's why before I knew the Diamond to Shields was struggling uh, with her health, I kind of had Seattle... Chicago and Los Angeles as my three teams capable of winning a title. And that's not a, I do think that like disrespect narratives are overblown, whether we're talking about Connecticut, whether we're talking about the aces. Uh, I don't think there was any disrespect involved. I completely agree with what you're saying about, about plum, uh, you know, kind of hurting this team just in terms of how they're constructed a little bit more with her absence than, than Cambage's absence. Um, but I was just like, this is going to be too much of a load for for Asia Wilson to carry. And I know she's capable and I, I know they're going to be in the playoffs. Um, but like, as we saw in the Connecticut series, like it, it, to, to bring this back to kind of my original point here, I think we all knew that Seattle should be in the finals and should be the finals favorite. 
And then past that, it was like there are going to be a lot of teams scrapping it out. And it's going to be just like a battle of like, you know, attrition. Who can who can survive, uh, you know, the, the the injuries that they sustain over the course of the season and just the the, the massive minutes that they have to play and, and who can make it all the way. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm not saying the aces are done. I, I think it's, it's absolutely still a series. We broke down how they could win game two, but I think you have to kind of zoom out a little bit and just be like, Hey, if they lose this series with no Dierica Hamby, Asia Wilson winning MVP emphatically and them making the WNBA finals and, and just kind of out gridding the Connecticut sun, a te- like the, the capital G grit team is the Connecticut Sun and Vegas kind of beat them at their own game in a certain sense uh, and advanced to the finals. And I think that's kind of a win. So I really hope it's a series. I, I would love to see the aces, you know, make this competitive, but I just, I don't think that, that, that I want to frame it. And I'm not really saying that people are yet, but I just want to kind of get out ahead of this. I don't want people to be framing this as like, Oh man, you know, the, the MVP couldn't, couldn't go up against the 2018 MVP. It's like, no, let's look at these rosters. Seattle's the overwhelming favorite if Hamby is out. And I think we're, we kind of saw it in game one and, and we'll see how it progresses. But that's just kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. And you you brought up an interesting aspect that I just want to go on one last rant and then we'll sign off. Sorry, we're going over, folks. But you talked about the disrespect about Connecticut. And for me, like, let, let's, let me start this off by saying, I very much so respect Kurt Miller, very much so respect the Connecticut Sun and their roster and their makeup. But I I, I want to throw some shade towards this disrespect idea. Now, let me preface it also with saying, if you're the head coach, heck, if I'm the head coach, I'd probably be doing the same thing. If I worked at the Connecticut Sun, I'd probably be doing the same thing. You put something up on the poster board to inspire, to motivate your team. And if disrespect capital CT at the end, gets your team motivated and ready and and pushes a sub-500 team to WNBA semifinals game five. And if it wasn't for, you know, a bad couple minutes in the end of the game and a, a offensive, like, just disappearance in the whole second half, you're talking about the Connecticut Sun probably being down 1-0 to the Seattle Storm right now or possibly up 1-0. I don't know. But my whole thing is like, I look at it in the same light as Indiana. When or when Indiana beats Seattle and Marion Stanley goes into the press conference and starts going off about, you know, we felt disrespected, blah, blah, You're you how many wins did did the fever have this season? Don't talk to me about like no one expected us like we should be expecting you guys to beat the Seattle Storm, who were buzzing on all cylinders at that point. Yeah, there's a reason no one expected you, because you guys haven't played good this season. Now, over the Connecticut Sun. There's a reason people didn't expect you to be in the semifinals because you're sub 500 and you inched in with a bottom seed in the playoffs. And yes, it out of context, that is horrible. So people are going to disrespect you. How many people are going to look at it through the context of, you know, uh, some of your roster, some key aspects of your roster didn't show up until late into the wobble. And this was a team that was in the semifinal or was in the finals last year, lost in game five to DC, but then completely reshaped the roster. And that team that was in the finals had been together for like four seasons or three plus seasons. So yes, obviously this is going to take time to rebuild and get to that point. And I think you did it a little bit faster. 
But as anybody who wanted to talk about, this roster of Connecticut is a very talented roster. If they had John Quill Jones, I think many people in the discussion we just had, you and myself, Owen, we'd be talking about them as a team that could have won the championship if they had John Quill Jones. We'd probably put an asterisk because of them not knowing each other and needing to find a way to gel, and it's a shortened season, so fine. But like this roster is extremely talented. You got disrespected because he had a sub-500 record going into the playoffs. I, I could not agree more. Could, can we imagine just if Jonquil Jones had played the season that, that Brianna Jones had, if, if she was coming off the bench as the thick player, mm-hmm. and you had you had Jasmine Thomas, Brianne January, Dewana Bonner, Alyssa Thomas, and Jonquil Jones as your five. I mean, that, that, that would be a pretty unstoppable bunch. So, yeah, I totally agree. Also, shout out Marianne Stanley. I absolutely loved it. I, I, I wrote about that. In, uh, in my newsletter, Wubble Weekly, uh, <laughs> they, they had eight players. Like, not only – the disrespect thing was just so hilarious. It's like it's eight players, a team that's that's under 500 going up against the best, the best group in basketball. Yes, you are going to be taken lightly in that scenario. And if you can find a way to funnel it into, into motivation, all the power to you. That was, that was an incredible win. And, my, and the last thing I'll say about that is – let me be clear. I love that she did that. Yeah. Like we need more coaches being vocal like that. We need more players showing their personality. We oh. don't need these kid, kid glove coverage. We don't need player. Like that's what I love so much about Courtney Williams last year in the finals what, or in the whole playoffs was I'm like that confidence, that exuding confidence. Yes. WNBA players, if any athlete can do it, WNBA players can do it. And we should give them the same respect. But as you said, you plugged Wobble Weekly. That's a great way to end the episode. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W by subscribing to Winsider on Patreon. That's patreon.com backslash Winsider. You'll get exclusive podcasts. We're working on a new podcast with questions submitted by subscribers. And you get the weekly, the Wubble Weekly, by our very own Owen Pence. Owen, thank you so much for joining me for the show. And I can't wait to see what happens in game two. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure.